You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. Today's a guest speaker, we have Daniel Fatner, principal at Corgin Ventures. And in this episode, we'll talk about two things, founder market fit and finding the lead investors so for those who don't know what mark founder market fit is it's the episode for you and also for those who never really figured out how to find the lead investor and what's the difference between a normal investor and the lead investor this episode is for you as well so daniel let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on corgin ventures yeah absolutely and uh thanks so much for having me um you know, my, my background is a combination of uh, real estate, startups, uh, venture capital, and, um, and entrepreneurship. Um, grew up in New York, went to the University of Michigan for undergrad, studied business, uh, go blue, and then uh, got my MBA at the Wharton School, um, where I graduated um, working in venture, technology, and uh, entrepreneurship. Um, so, Corgin Ventures is an early-stage venture capital firm. Uh, we invest at the intersection of the physical and digital worlds. All of our initial checks tend to come in at seed as well as pre-seed, and then we reserve follow-on capital for Series A and Series B. Um, and we've really planted our flag in the ground around, I would say, three core buckets um, being prop tech consumer, and we love marketplace business models. Um, you know, at this point, seven years into the firm, I would say we've kind of evolved into a generalist seed stage fund. Uh, based in New York, and given how active we are, we like to lead deals, co-lead deals, be very hands-on with our founders. Uh, roughly half of our portfolio is based in New York, uh, and then the other half are in markets across the U.S. and Canada. Nice, nice. Canada, I'm curious. Uh, actually, never mind, never mind. We're not going to go into the cross-border investing topic as it's, it can last for the whole episode, so we'll not, we'll not do that. Um, so I was going to ask you, what do you do there as a principal? So as a principal at Corgin Ventures, what's your core role there? Yeah, sure. Um, core role is a combination of sourcing new investments um, as well as, you know, actively working with our founders in the portfolio. Um, so my role, I focus exclusively on prop tech as well as construction tech. Um, you know, for those of you who don't, have you, haven't heard the term prop tech, that really stands for real estate technology. And um, you know, in addition to investing in companies and working with our founders, um, I also play a role in our own fundraising efforts, um, which certainly gives me empathy for, for founders when they're out raising capital. Mm-hmm. Right. So speaking of fundraising, this podcast is about fundraising, right? So let's talk about that. What do you think are the major trends of this pandemic? So during the pandemic, obviously, some companies just took off like Zoom and stuff like that, and some went down. Um, what are the major trends that you're seeing right now in terms of you know, what fields are the most trending? What fields do you think will be booming for the next you know, few years? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I think the pandemic, uh, we've seen a, a few things happen. Um, you know, one thing that we've definitely seen uh, in our fund, as well as some of our peers, um, 
where everyone's kind of rejiggering their portfolio construction a bit, uh, specifically in order to support companies that are going to have a rough time, you know, going through the pandemic, right? So, you know, there are a handful of companies in our portfolio that we remain very long-term bullish on. Uh, we still love the team. We love the value prop. We love the business model, but to no fault of their own, you know, they're going to have a rough couple of quarters. And so, um, you know, lowering the allocation slightly to new investments and earmarking some support capital to companies that are in the portfolio that we want them to um, you know, survive COVID and, and survive it strong. Um, then I would say most investors have, have raised the bar generally, especially when you can't meet founders in person or you know, it's very difficult to meet founders in person right now. Um, I, I would say, you know, myself, my team, um, other funds that I'm close with, everyone's generally raised the bar in terms of, you know, how many calls they'll take a week, um, what it takes to get through an investment committee right now. And um, I'd say net-net, probably less deals are getting done, um, but there's still plenty of capital out there. I think people forget that last year was the fourth consecutive year where VCs raised the most money for their own funds. So still plenty of liquidity in the system. Um, I just think it takes a you know, little bit harder to get through an IC right now. Right, right, that's true. And let's just jump straight into the topic of our today's episode, which is a founder market fit. Can you first give us the official definition of founder market fit? What is that? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, yeah, I think there's a handful of definitions out there. Uh, the definition that we like to use, though, is why does this founder have an unfair advantage to tackle the market that he or she is going after? Um, whether it's a differentiated network, whether it's category expertise, um, whether it's you know, relationships or contacts in the industry that he or she is trying to disrupt, you know, what about their background gives them that unfair advantage um, to go after that opportunity? Um, so that, that's the definition that we kind of uh, use. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty accurate definition. I would say exactly the same words. <laughs> but um, I'm curious more in terms of specific uh, tr specific indicators, I guess, that you're looking at. So who can qualify as a you know founder who fits this specific project? So uh, how big should be that network or you know, how many how many years should you have in that industry to claim that you are that you know perfect founder that knows a ton of stuff about the industry? Yeah, listen, those are good questions, and it, it's definitely not an exact science. Um, you know, just to relate the founder market fit, you know, definition to the industries that I look most closely at. You know, especially within real estate and construction. Now, those are two older school industries, right? And you're dealing with a very unique demographic. And what we've seen in those types of industries is that gentle disruption is often the better path. Now, what does gentle disruption mean? It means, you know, don't try and shock the system, right? You know, in these types of industries where folks are used to doing things in a very old school mannered way for many years, um, Typically, they don't love to see the 21 or 22-year-old engineer, you know, coming out of Stanford, raising his or her hand and saying, hey, I'm coming to disrupt your industry, right? Um, and so 
having the category expertise in an industry like that, being in the industry for five or 10 plus years, going out and solving a problem that you experienced firsthand in a prior life, right? In a prior company, in a prior role, is typically the expertise we like to look for. Um, and that's just one aspect of the team, right? So in addition to having category expertise or industry knowledge, we also like to see somebody on the founding team have the technology know-how to actually build and execute on the vision. Um, and so, you know, when we did a study uh, earlier this year, uh, specifically within prop tech and construction tech, we looked at the 50 most valuable companies in the space, and it was about two-thirds, one-third to founder market fit uh, to not founder market fit. Um, of the third of the founding teams who didn't have founder market fit, the vast majority of them were serial entrepreneurs or very seasoned engineers, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, they've been in the industry, been there, done that. Um, so th those are the types of teams uh, we like to look for and, and kind of, you know, the rationale on, on why we like to back them. Right, right. That does make sense. And I'm curious about how you can present that founder market fit. So as a founder, let's say I want to give a pitch to an investor, nonverbal though. Uh, so like, how do I put that on the pitch deck? Uh, because there is a you know, very limited amount of space that is dedicated to each member of the team. So how can I put, so for example, I don't have like 10 years uh, of experience in that specific industry, but I have a huge network and uh, what else can I have? Let's say I just have a huge network. How can I put the fact that I have a huge network on the pitch deck? Yeah, listen, I mean, typically every pitch deck I see has a page on team. Um, you know, given how early we're investing, there's usually not that many people on the team when we're investing. And so, you know, if each founder you have five or six bullet points, um, you know, typically that's one of the bullet points we look for, right? We're either looking for the logo of the company you used to work at. We're looking for a number of years of experience in the industry. Um, if someone has a really robust network, they could just write really robust network in the construction <laughs> uh, sector, right? Um, I think, um, you know, I've seen a lot of teams write uh, the term founder market fit in their slide deck as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a, I think there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And, and ultimately, right, you're using the pitch deck to get that phone call, right? And so, you know, you can obviously go a lot deeper when speaking on the phone and can explain some of the contacts you have in the industry, why you have them, um, you know, things of that nature. Right. And speaking of the first call, literally the previous episode of Fundraising Radio is about the first call with an investor called how to not butcher your first call with an investor. <laughs> so if you were curious <laughs> how to do that, definitely check it out. Um, but I'm curious here, how should founder, what should founders do if they see that they're not like the perfect, perfect uh, founder market fit. So if they have like, you know, maybe a couple of years in the field, they've experienced that issue, but they are not, they see that there are founders basically better than them and they, but they still want to solve the problem. What should they do? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that you can do. Um, one, I mean, just taking a, a little bit of a step back, right? A fresh perspective from an industry outsider is always helpful to have and, and kind of allows you to view things with a clean palette. Um, so, you know, if that person identifies an opportunity in another industry, 
you know, my recommendation would be to recruit someone who has experienced the problem firsthand, right? Recruit someone for the leadership team or, you know, a VP of uh, product or business development, uh, product or, or whatever you know, everyone be, already knows. You definitely want to use how to acquire um, someone who came perfect, from the That's a perfect answer. Uh, so, you know, hiring a professional um, in the field is great. I trust me, plenty of professionals in the field, even if they don't want to work with really you full time, they might become your advisors and help you find someone, you know, maybe less experienced, but someone who is willing to work with you full time for equity. So definitely search out for advisors, especially in the beginning. Now that, that we're actually going to be my other point, <laughs> I think, you know, build, building out an advisory board is also um, something that I think will just add credibility, uh, not only to your, to your thought process on how to tackle the market, but it will also add credibility in your pitch deck. You know, so if you aren't coming from the industry, but you have some pretty senior level executives from the industry on your advisory board, um, you know, to me, that sends a signal that this is a real problem that the founder mm -hmm. is going after. There is a desire um, and interest from senior level executives in the industry to see this problem being solved. Um, and so, you know, in addition to recruiting somebody full time to join the team, you know, building out an industry uh, or sorry, building out an advisory board of industry experts uh, is also something that, you know, a founder can do. Right, right. I'm happy that I took over your thought. <laughs> Still your point here. Uh, but now that we've discussed the founder market fit, I want to move on to the second part of our interview, which is finding a lead investor. So first, let's start with the definition of the lead investor. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I get this question asked a lot. So, you know, what is a lead investor? What do they do? How do they add credibility? A lead investor is effectively someone who is going to spend the time um, due diligence in your company, like any other investor, but has either the bandwidth and or the capital to price the round, um, negotiate the terms, usually will take a board seat, and finally will also help the founder raise the rest of the funds in order to hit whatever the minimum fundraising amount is. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you can get as many, you know, soft or, or hard commitments from angels and passive funds. Um, but until you actually have a lead investor, that is typically when all the other dominoes fall. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about lead investors in terms of are they like champions, basically, right? Are, are they alike champions? Yeah. So you know how people say that um, you have to find a champion in a company, basically, that's going to be rooting oh, for you, you know, pushing your deal forward to the partners <laughs> and so forth and so on. So it. lead investor is like champion, but on a more a bigger scale, right? Yeah, that, I, that's absolutely right. Um, remember that a lead investor is also putting their name, their firm's name, their reputation on the line when they go out to lead your deal. Right, because at the end of the day, um, they're the ones who are negotiating all the terms on behalf of the rest of the syndicate. Uh, they're the ones who are likely sitting on your board. Um, they're the ones who kind of, um, you know, they, they look good and bad in the press with you. Um, and so, you know, they're kind of putting their name next to your name. Um, they're taking a risk as well. Not that all invest, not that 
um, all of your investors aren't taking a risk. But, you know, the lead investor in particular is spending a lot of time and capital um, to help your company reach the next level of its growth. Um, and so when the company fails, the investor fails as well. When the company succeeds, the investor succeeds. Mm-hmm. Right. So I assume it's really hard to get a lead investor. And I've seen tons and tons of companies, you know, looking around, gain oversubscribed for like 140, 170% and never find that lead investor. And that's really sad to watch. So what's your recommendations on finding that lead investor? So how how can you find one? Yeah, I mean, in, in one word, it's, it's probably hustle. Um, yeah, there, there's some good VC spreadsheets and, and Google Docs that I've seen passed around. Um, some of them are, are very good and provide a, a laundry list of investors that are pretty accurate in terms of stage, check size, you know, um, whether they like to lead or co-lead or if they're more of a passive investor. Um, you know, I think the majority of VCs, at least that I know, They'll prefer you to find a warm intro into them. Um, you know, others rely on you know, a rule of three. Um, I know a lot of people that say if, if three different people tell them about a founder or company or, you know, they have three different sources saying, hey, you should take a look at so-and-so, they're building something really interesting, then they start paying attention. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's just hustle. You know, it's LinkedIn, it's Twitter. Um, it's, it's cold emailing, it's networking, it's finding warm intros, it's identifying who the lead investors are out there and then trying to figure out, um, you know, a, a way to get into them, uh, whether it's a, a warm intro or, or a cold email. All right. So let's elaborate on Twitter specifically. That's probably the tool that I use the least, but that the tool that I hear about the most, I don't know. I have no idea why I don't like Twitter as much, but I do not. So I'm curious, how exactly can you network through Twitter? Do you just follow a bunch of VCs and you know comment on their articles, comment on their tweets, or how does it work? Yeah, so full, full disclosure, I'm probably more in your camp. I'm not that active in Twitter. Um, I'm more <laughs> active on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. yeah. So for those of you who want to get in touch with me, you're, you're probably, um, you know, have a way better uh, chance at connecting with me on LinkedIn than you do Twitter. But, you know, I, I know the rest of my team is pretty active, um, you know, to just DM them your idea or DM them a little bit about yourself, um, you know, tweet your company and, and, you know, tweet at us or, or some of our partners. Um, and if it's within, you know, some of the trends and themes that we're interested in looking at, um, yeah, we're we're always actively outsourcing for deals. So um, if it checks our boxes, we're we're definitely going to respond, and you know, definitely want to hear and learn more. Right, right. So let's move on to talking more about coronavirus. That's a super, you know, uh, hyped topic right now for a good reason. Everything is changing. So my question for you is. As a person who is working in pre-seed and seed stage, what's the major trend you've seen there? So from my personal observations, basically from the data and from the other speakers that I had on fundraising radio, is that most of the capital now goes to more mature companies. So seed slash series A plus. Uh, what do you see at pre-seed? Do people still invest? Yeah, people are definitely still investing. Um, I would say manage your expectations a little bit. You know, some firms 
aren't going to be comfortable writing checks without meeting founders in person. You know, I've seen a little bit of that. Um, you know, other firms are perfectly uh, comfortable writing checks without meeting folks in person. Um, just to take a step back, right, it, it's still one of the absolute best times to be an entrepreneur. You know, in, in no other industry do investors value a PowerPoint pitch deck with limited traction is in the millions of dollars, right? Yeah. Um, VCs still have the most dry powder they've ever had. Um, you know, I do think that some of the pre-seed firms, um, some of the managers who, you know, had success over the past uh, two, three years, um, you know, at least success on paper, um, you know, all depending on their personal situations, they may not, you know, go out and try and raise a, a more of a formalized fund, which means there may be a little less capital in the system for really early stage concepts. Um, but like I said, you know, put it all in perspective, it's still one of the best times to be an entrepreneur. It may take a little longer to raise, may meet, it may need you need a little more traction or need to add one or two more team members to the team to look a little bit more uh, legitimate. Um, but, you know, there's still dollars out there and uh, keep your heads up high and just hustle. Absolutely. Positive attitude right here. I love it. Um, so any specific advice to those early stage founders? So, you know, those who are pre-revenue, I mean, pre-revenue, pre that's exactly the word, uh, pre-revenue and pre-product. What's your advice to them to, to have any specific uh, sources of capital to, that you would recommend to them? Maybe incubator or accelerators or grants or something that you would say that, you know, now during coronavirus, it works best. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I think if you're an entrepreneur with an idea, you should get it on paper. Um, you know, if you want to take your conversations to the next level, you really need to have a, a deck for investors to, you know, take a real look and uh, potentially schedule a call with you. Um, you know, you need a blurb. A blurb in my mind is, is really a you know two sentence description of your company along with three to four call it high level important bullet points. Um, you know my other advice: create a Crunchbase profile, create an AngelList profile, create a LinkedIn profile. Oh yes, so those are all kind of a typical first sites that I'll go to in order to determine the history of the company, amount of funding, how long they've been working on their concept. Um, you know one other thing that I've seen done well especially recently given COVID is create a five minute pitch video, right? Maybe 10 minutes. Um, this will save you an enormous amount of time on the back end as well. Because if you think about it, it's a lot smaller of an ask to have an investor, you know, watch a five minute pitch video on their own time uh, than to get them to agree to a 30 or 60 minute phone call, mm -hmm. which involves, you know, just coordinating schedules, et cetera. Um, and this type of video will also help them qualify you and vice versa, right? Sometimes getting a quick no is a lot better than a long, drawn-out process, which you have to follow up five to six times. And when you finally get them on the phone, you know, both parties realize it's, it's not a fit. Um, so, you know, there's still plenty of accelerators out there. I think a lot of venture firms are also incubating companies. And so, you know, if you have a, a concept and you have a, you know, flushed out idea. Um, there are a lot of early stage funds who, you know, are considering just bringing you on as an EIR, um, you know, helping you work closely with you to, through the ideation process. 
uh, with kind of the handshake promise that, you know, at the end, um, you know, there's a check there waiting for you. Um, so, you know, I, I think for each person, for each uh, type of company um, and, and idea that you have, there's all sorts of avenues you can go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, graduate school is another really interesting avenue. Um, you know, when I was at business school, and most, most of the business schools now, they have so much programming for entrepreneurship. They have so many grants. Um, they bring in so many experts and advisors. Um, you know, it, it's almost like one big sandbox to just ideate. Um, and so, you know, like I said, all, all depending on what you're trying to build, um, what your personal situation is, um, I think there's plenty of avenues out there for you. Absolutely. And those are great advice, especially I think Crunchbase and creating all those, you know, essential profiles are super important because personally, if I search someone on Crunchbase and they're not there, it just feels weird. Like, come on, how hard is it to create a Crunchbase profile? It takes like, I don't know, three minutes. So do do that for sure. And speaking of ideation, we're creating an event called Student Startup Bell. So there we're going to come up with a, a real precise step-by-step guide into how to turn an idea into fundable company. And by we, I mean uh, three professional investors or founders who sold their companies, not me personally. So definitely check it out. I'll leave it in the description of this episode. And we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So what's the one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Yeah, I think my, my, my call to action um, was, um, you know, get your idea on paper, um, create your Crunchbase profile, create your LinkedIn profile, um, and create your five-minute pitch video. Um, I think those are all the things necessary to take your idea process and take your dialogues to the next level and, um, and make it real. Right. Perfect. That's a perfect call to action. Love it. And my call to action is go to the description of this episode. I'll leave the link, a bunch of links there. One of them will be a link to LinkedIn of Daniel. So if you want to get in touch with him, definitely do it through LinkedIn. So we're going to wrap it up. Thanks a lot, Daniel, for coming out. Oh, never mind. All right.